This is the Ignition Show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of the Ignition Show, where our aim is to create meaningful conversations with switched on people about things that matter. Matter in the pursuit of your potential and ignite the flame within you to live your best and full life. When I was growing up as a kid, I wasn't a big reader. In fact, I didn't really enjoy reading. I think it was likely because I felt like I was a slow reader. On closer reflection though, I suppose the truth is I didn't enjoy reading books. I was pretty good with magazines or reading the daily stats in our local newspaper from all the sporting events from the night before. I could pour over that for an hour. Who scored, who assisted, what team was now leading the standings, who was on injury reserve and who just got traded. Certain things, I guess, just grabbed my attention and it didn't feel like reading. And thinking back to it, one book that absolutely fascinated me, that I could also pour over for hours, was the Guinness Book of World Records. How incredible, the world's tallest man, the longest beard, the widest tree, the biggest ball of string. Which, as a side note, there actually is a Guinness Book of World Records for the world's biggest ball of string. It was started by Frank Stober in 1953. And in just four years, the giant ball of twine weighed 5,000 pounds and stood eight feet tall. And Stober gave the ball of twine to Cocker City, Kansas in 1961. And I believe you can still go to Cocker City, Kansas and add your piece of twine as it keeps growing. Fascinating. The things you can find in the Guinness Book of World Records. So I, I kind of, those two points connected. Reading and the Guinness Book. I kind of double geeked out when today's guest reached out to us to see if we'd like to talk. Howard Berg is our guest today and he's not just a prolific reader. He was named the world's fastest reader by the Guinness Book of World Records. And what I appreciate about Howard's continued commitment, as you'll see, is not just about speed reading, it's about accelerated learning. And my hope for our conversation today is it will take the lid off of your assumptions about what you can learn, how you can learn more, and how that will only accelerate your success in every area of your life. Howard also has a special offer for listeners of The Ignition Show, so stick around to get that at the end. You know, we all put limitations on ourselves and what we think we're capable of. Listen closely to this episode, and in just a few minutes, you'll be given ways to blast through those perceived limitations and step a little closer to your true potential. Enjoy the conversation. On today's show, we're speaking with Howard Berg, Guinness record holder as the world's fastest reader. As a kid growing up in projects in Brooklyn, New York, at a time when gangs and gang violence was everywhere, Howard found that one of the safest places to be was the library. I guess learning wasn't a priority for gang members. Surrounded by books, Howard chose well and was reading the theory of relativity at eight years old and college-level texts at age 11 and went off to college at age 17, where he ignited his fascination about the brain and its capacity to learn. Enrolling in a double major in biology and psychology, Howard has a deep understanding of how the brain functions and how you can dramatically increase your capacity to consume, retain, and comprehend vast amounts of information. His joy of learning perhaps is only surpassed by his joy of teaching. Howard has inspired and trained hundreds of thousands of people around the world, young and old alike, through his company, Berg Learning, and its accelerated learning programs and products. I think we're about to be entertained and educated in a masterclass of learning. Howard, welcome to the Ignition Show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. My plan is I, I found this topic of learning and reading fascinating. You know, my earliest memories of reading would probably be in primary school. I don't know, maybe grade four or five. And I, re I reflect back and I don't think I really enjoyed reading. I identified myself as a slow reader. And that stood for many, many, many years. It's different now. I continually fill my bookshelves with amazing books. But I know I'm not alone with their maybe 
uh, the, the struggle with reading. What, my question for you is, what do we misunderstand about reading and what it takes to get better at reading? Well, first, reading isn't learning. That's a big mistake. If you ask someone if they studied, they'll say, yeah, I studied for five hours, I read 400 pages, which is irrelevant. What's relevant is, did you learn? Do you understand it? And can you use it when you need it? To me, reading is like a screwdriver. It's, it's something you can use as a tool to gain access to other people's intelligence and strategies and abilities to increase your own abilities as well. So I don't like reading, but I love learning. And so I find that's why I really read. I'm more interested in building my skill set than I am in simply just finding out what somebody thinks. I, I love that distinction. And I, I know you said that, you know, they don't teach learning in school. They, they tell you what to learn and why to learn and what will happen if you don't learn. But they don't teach you how to learn. How, what do you mean by that? And what's the issue there? Well, I own my own school, and we taught the kids, before we taught them any subject area like science or math or English, we taught them how to learn what to look for, how to find it faster, how to analyze it to make it make more sense, how to remember it after they learned it, how to be in a good state to use it when they needed it. And so these kids were doing college courses at 11 and consistently passing the classes with A's. When I taught in high school in New York, 2% graduated. I offered to teach the same material, and they said it wasn't in the curriculum. I was like, well, how can I ruin your numbers? You got a 2% success rate. <laughs> and they caught me helping kids learn and said I wasn't doing my job. Wow. One of my students, it was a biology class, said, I don't know how to do the homework in the biology book. And I was showing them how to find the answers to the questions they had for homework. And the principal said that I wasn't being paid to do that. It wasn't my job wow. because I wasn't teaching the curriculum. So I quit. And that's when I started my own school. I wasn't going to make kids dumber. I was determined to, to use what I was able to do to help them be smarter. Right now I'm working with a school district in Oklahoma, training the teachers and students on my system. And I'll be doing that in Lawton, Oklahoma in the spring as well. So tell me more about this, uh, the school that you own. What's the, what's the premise of that and how does it work? Well, I owned the school. It, we, it was for about five years. Um, the school was an online junior and senior high school for homeschoolers because a lot of the parents didn't know how to teach the higher level courses. So we took these kids, we trained them on the learning system, and then we provided them with an online curriculum and what a lot of them would do is they would take club tests, which is a way to get college credits. And depending on where you live, it could be very useful. Like in Texas, at a state college, 75% of your degree could be club credits. So these kids would finish high school as sophomores in, in college because they had so many credits from what we were teaching them. Now, I'll give an example. Let's say you're learning American history. Who's the first president? Uh, first president was George Washington. You're in college American history. Who's the first president? <laughs> George Washington. What changed? It's $5,000. So <laughs> while they're in high school where it's less expensive or free, we teach them how to learn the first vice president, secretary of state, and some more wars and a few more inventions. And then they go and take the American history club 
and they're done with college history while they're in high school. And that's what we were doing. That's very different than what most schools are doing. Wow. So um, so many areas I'd love to dive in here. Um, since we're talking about the school and school system, I, you mentioned that certainly the, I, I agree that our, our education system is out, by and large outdated. It was designed for the industrial era, uh, transitioning yes. out of the agriculture era. And I, I've heard you mention that it's unlikely anytime soon, certainly in the U.S., that the education system will change. Why do you think that? And why do you think the, the education in the country is in crisis? I actually know why. Um, a lot of the curriculums are mandated by the state. And in many states, it's very political. For example, here in Texas, they took out slavery. There was no slavery. There was the triangular trade. They, they grew sugar and sent it to the Bahamas. And in return, they would get molasses and, 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 and alcohol and workers. Happy people, happy to be working the plantations. This is, this is the history they teach in my state. So unfortunately, a lot of the, the school curriculums have become highly politicized. For example, in many states, science is replaced with religious dogma. There's nothing wrong with believing in, a, in, in creation. If you're in church or you're in a religious course, it's certainly applicable and makes total sense. But if you're in a biology class, it's not a biology concept, just like they don't teach genetics in church. I mean, there's a time and place for each idea, and certainly people have a right to their own opinions. I'm a biologist. I know which one I believe in. But unfortunately, they're, they're doing this in state curriculums now. And so instead of teaching the topics at the level they should be learning, they're, they're integrating their personal beliefs and values instead. Uh, another problem, I recently was working in Asia. There's free, there's no free school, even pay for kindergarten. Most of the students go six days a week. They do the nine to three like our kids, and then they go to a second school from four to seven. And then they do three hours homework, six days a week. You give a kid 15 minutes homework in this country and the parents will call up and complain. Mm -hmm. You're driving their kid crazy. So the competition for the children in our school are kids that are going six days a week, seven, an extra three hours every day, and have three hours homework. These kids are motivated. They're doing calculus in the sixth and seventh grade. Our 12th graders have trouble with fractions and decimals. And we're in very serious trouble as a nation as a result. And a lot of it is because of politics, and part of it's because parents won't tolerate their kids being given too much to learn. And in the other countries, they're encouraging it. And this is part of the reason why we're losing so many jobs. These kids are better trained. They work for a fraction of the cost. And they're very motivated. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Hmm. And maybe I, I often discusses, you know, you, you can control the things you can control. And as a, as a new parent, I've got a very young child right now. He's so well before school age. He's only, only three months old. Um, <laughs> and, but as, as a parent, controlling what you can control, and you've been on the front lines. You've seen thousands of kids both struggle and excel at learning and reading. So what do parents, perhaps especially of young children, maybe early school days, maybe even preschool, 
what mm-hmm. do parents really need to understand about their child's prospects and, and how to develop confidence and competence with learning? Well, the first thing is a parent, you should be exposing them to reading at a very early age. Take I did that with my kids. Every night before they went to bed, I read to them, made sure that they knew I was reading to them. And as they got more adept at it, they would read with me because they recognized the stories and saw it as a pleasure rather than as a toil. It's important to take your kids to museums and expose them to culture. It increases their curiosity. I was fortunate when I grew up, I was across the street from the Brooklyn uh, Children's Museum, which was a science museum. And I would go every Saturday. By the time I was eight, I'd seen every planetarium show and I would help with the planetarium shows. And I was a tour guide at six years old in the science museum. You couldn't do that today, back then you could. Today, they put your parents in prison. But I would show people the exhibits and explain it. I was involved, I was intrigued. It aroused my curiosity, my interest in learning. Certainly, uh, one of the best things you can do with young kids, take them to the zoos, take them to art museums, take them to science museums. Stimulates their brains. It stimulates their minds. It, it gives them an interest outside of television and and their immediate environment. And when you're when they're in school, take them on trips. Like if you lived in New York, it would be a good idea to take your kid for a weekend in Philly to see Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell to make the history that they're learning come to life. Yes. Become more relevant. Yes. And, and we can do that in many ways. Fortunately, because of the internet, if you're not fortunate enough to live near one of those locations, you can do this with your kid online. Mm-hmm. Show them videos and, and, and get involved with them and build their interest and their desire to know. And the earlier you do it, the better. I love that. I love that. And um, so let's let's back up a few steps here. And you've, you've been... Uh, identified as the world's fastest reader and set yes. a Guinness record from that. How did you discover your ability to read fast? And how did you, how did, did you discover and develop your ability? Well, I was, I'd be riding on a train and I'd be, I read about a page, a page and a half a second and people would stare at me. And I realized that they, they didn't understand what I was doing. It made sense to me. It was normal to me, but it wasn't normal to them. Uh, the way it got started, I was majoring in biology at the State University of New York, Binghamton. In my junior year, I got interested in the brain and how it works. So I told the dean I wanted to do a second major, psych and bio. And he said, you're only one year away from graduating. You have to do the whole four-year program in one year. And frankly, you're not smart enough. You have to take six science courses, 18 credits of science, two four-hour labs. And I had three part-time jobs. I was working 18 hours on the side. And he didn't see how it could be done. Well. As I started learning about the brain, I realized I could use what I was learning to learn. I got up to 80 pages a minute. I finished the program in a year. Uh, I took the graduate record exam in bio, and I got an 800, which is in the 99th percentile. I basically looked at 48 books in three nights, like biochemistry, genetics, cell physiology, and I got three questions wrong. Then there was a question of, was it me, or had I found a better way to learn? So when I had my school, we taught it to the kids. They were 11 to 15 years old. They did a 30-chapter book in lifelong developmental psych, a sophomore course in college in a week, and 15 out of 18 passed the CLEP, which is an AP test 
for full credit. So now I knew it was onto something. It wasn't just that I could do it, I could teach it. And that's more important because me doing it really won't affect you or your life, but me teaching you to double or quadruple your learning rate can make all the difference in your life. And I'm much more excited about the accomplishments of the people I've trained than my own. That's, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit more. Let's, let's dive into this. What, um, uh, what are some of the, I guess, the core, I don't know, principles or core, um, uh, the core science of brain-based learning? What do you know about the brain that most people don't? And what should we, what should we and the listeners know? Well, let me apply it to the, the niche of reading because that's a the question you're asking could take hours. That's that's <laughs> brain-based learning is a pretty big topic. So I'm going to focus it down to something we could actually do in a few minutes' time. I'm going to answer first why we read so slowly and what we can do to fix it. Would that be a, a good starting place? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. When you're driving in a car, depending on where you live on a highway, you're going somewhere between say 60 and 75 miles an hour. You're reading the road, front, back, left and right. You're bored, you're watching your instrument panel, you're watching your GPS, you're on the phone, you're talking to people in the car, you have your radio on, all at the same time, and you're bored. When you read a book, it's gonna be about 200 words a minute. The range is of 150 to 400, but the mode is 200. And the next day you remember 10%. Why is it easier to drive at 75 miles in a car, reading in four directions, doing 100 things, and reading a book in one direction? It's 200 words a minute. And the answer is simple. When you're driving, you're processing all the data as images, as pictures, as movies. When you're reading, it's like someone's in back of your head pronouncing one word at a time about the same speed you speak. So you're literally using your eyes to hear a book, which is inefficient. Mm -hmm. What I do is I train people how to see a little more of a movie, a little less of a conversation. As a result, an average person can go about 100% to 400% faster, most double, but we've had people go as much as four times in a few hours time. If you'd like, I could start people on how to do this if you're interested. Yeah, please do. When you're done with the podcast, at the end, get a book you've read, preferably nonfiction, one that you understand. So the only reason you'd be confused is the speed you're reading, not what you're reading. If you're reading something that's totally incomprehensible, like quantum mechanics or advanced algebra, the problem may be the topic and not the book. Mm -hmm. So Got a book you understand, go to the first page of the first chapter, use your smartphone or your watch, time yourself for a minute, and read normal. Don't do anything different. And see how far you get. And put a pencil mark where you finished. And now you know that's how far you read in a minute. Now. Now I'll show you the magic. Are you ready? Yep. Go to the second chapter. Take your hand and go from the left to the right margin. And this is the important part, as fast as you could comprehend. That means as long as you know what you're reading, keep speeding up till you don't. And that's where you find out you went too fast because you already know what's in the book. The only thing that's confusing you is your speed. So slow down just enough so your comprehension comes back. And then for five minutes, go as quickly as you could comprehend, eyes following your hand, continuously moving from left to right. Now go back to the first chapter where you initially tested yourself. 
and do the same test, time yourself for a minute, and this time do it with your hand. And you're gonna go about 20 to 40% further just doing that one change. That's a good starting place. Hmm. Now that sounds, um, um, I love I love how simplistic that is. It also sounds maybe oversimplistic. I, don't, I wouldn't want it to undermine uh, all the advanced teaching that you do in your products and programs. But is speed reading as simple as that? Is that just running your finger fast? No, I'm going to give you more tips. That's a good, I have to start somewhere. Yeah. That's the first step. Now I'm going to tell you what to look for, which is very important. What, what do you need to learn? And sometimes people will say to me, this is a very big book. I don't know what I'm looking for. Does that sound like something you can relate to when you have a really enormous amount of material? Definitely, yes. What if I told you, Chris, you only have to know five things. Would that help? Sure. Would it help more if I told you what the five things are? <laughs> it might. It might. It might reduce some of the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. The first thing you want to look for are the words, the vocabulary, any word that's new, that's important. One of the ways to find those words, if a writer is doing their job correctly, they'll typically put those new important words in different fonts or bold them or italicize them or put them in a table to draw your attention. So what are the words? What do they mean? Two, who's in your book? The names of the people and what they did. Very important. Three, any number date statistical formula. That's especially important in school and in business. What are the meanings of the numbers? How do you use them? Fourth, in nonfiction, it's typical to find chapters divided up by headers and subheaders that tell you the theme of what they're about to cover. What are the five most important takeaways in each section and subsection, the big takeaways? And lastly, questions and answers. And here's a little something that'll help even more. If your book has questions, especially at the end of a chapter, typical in many textbooks, read them first. So you'll know what they expect you to know when you're done before you even start. And then when you spot something that you know is expected to be known at the end, you'll know to prioritize it. So if you know every word and what it means, every person, what they did, every number, date, statistic, and formula, the five takeaways in every section, and the answers to every question, what else do you think you'd need to know to get a good grade? Not a lot, not, not much. Not much. What I'd like to do is an experiment to show how your brain actually does this in the real world. Would that be okay? Let's do it. I'd like our listeners to look around them, including you, at everything colored blue and make a mental picture of it because I'm going to test your memory in a minute. Look around at everything colored blue and memorize it. Take a moment. Okay. Now, I want you to remember everything colored red. What happened? Uh, the brain said, uh-oh, that wasn't the instruction. Exactly. And blue things got bigger, brighter, and louder, more noticeable, and everything like red disappeared. When you have purpose, and the purpose in this case is words, names, numbers, dates, statistics, main ideas, questions, and answers, they pop. Just like when you go to a shopping mall, there's lots of people, you don't know them, and you ignore them. Suddenly you see someone you know, and you go and say hello. To see the person you know, you had to see thousands of other faces you didn't know. But your brain knew they weren't important because you didn't know them. 
It only made you conscious of someone being there when you spotted someone who mattered, had significance in your life. That same brain reads books. When you tell your brain something's important, it'll bold itself, it'll pop off the page, even at higher speed, making it easier to read at higher speed with good comprehension. So what you said before was true. You have to do more than simply read. Comprehension to me is more important. And if you'd like, I can demonstrate exactly how comprehension works while reading. Well, yeah, I was going to ask about that because I'm sure that's one of the one of the biggest uh, skeptical comments you get is sure you can flip through a page very quickly, but do you know what's there? Can do you comprehend? Do you do you uh, remember the ideas that are there? So yeah, first of all, before you tell us how, what what's your response to skeptics about that? Well, I got an 800 on the GRE in biology. That meant I understood a lot. I did a graduate course in educational psych in seven hours. It's a five-month course. I read the book four times. I took the six-hour AP test in 50 minutes and got a B plus. And my kids do this all the time. Uh, one of my kids graduated UTA, University of Texas Arlington, 16, 4.0, economics degree, master's in math at OU at 19, 397 GPA, professor at Yale now. Another one was a C student at 11 and an English professor at 22. Wow. Another one did college in six months. He went to Thomas Edison, which is online. They let you clep out of 90% of your courses. Using what I taught him, he did six cleps a week and one online class, finished four-year college in six months. And this is indication to me that it's working. We also did a double blind study using the Nelson Denny, which is a standardized test for speed and comprehension. A hundred random people took the program. We split them into two groups, 50 did A and B and 50 did B and A to make sure the second test didn't artificially inflate their results. And they did an analysis of variance and found everyone doubled or quadrupled in four hours with no loss of comprehension irrespective of which test they took first or second. So I feel that's pretty solid evidence that it's not just something I'm believing is true, but something that's been substantiated through research and through life experience. I, I appreciate the, the level of detail you got there. And uh, I'm sure that some of the skeptics uh, will get quiet after you share some of, those, some of that data. Um, well, to be honest, Chris, when they try my program, which I hope they'll do, um, we give a total satisfaction guarantee. And if they're having a problem, our staff will help them. And when they can't, I personally help. And if they can't learn it, I give them their money back. I'm, I'm pretty determined. I'm a Rotarian. I believe that you shouldn't get paid for something you didn't do. Now, if I double your reading speed the way I promised, I feel I'm entitled to be paid for that. If, if I didn't help you learn faster, then why would you pay me? So I'm, I'm pretty determined to actually give people the results they expect because I think that's what you should get from everything you do. Uh, that's great. I really respect that. And um, I, I don't want to lose the track you were on about uh, yes. giving us examples of how to comprehend. And my mind is kind of a, my mind is kind of exploding right now with so many questions I want to ask. But let's, 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 let's close the loop on that comprehension first, and I'll come back to some more questions. I like that. I was taking courses in graduate school on how to teach reading, and I came across something very important. It's called schema. <clears throat> schema is how your brain makes sense out of text. And I'm going to read a passage that has no schema, and watch how confusing it is. 
Then I'll read it a second time with a heading, one word that has schema. And watch how instantly it totally makes sense. Just put one word different. Is that okay? Yep. <clears throat> Here's the schemaless text that's hard to comprehend. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home. But you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. What am I talking about? I don't know. Something easy, but uh, if you do it wrong, it could hurt you. Perfect. I'm going to read it again, but I'm going to have a title this time. The title has schema. And watch the difference in your understanding. Laundry. Laundry. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home. But you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. Are you confused now? No. Uh, although I am I'm confused if you overdo laundry, but <laughs> that's a separate subject. What I'm training people is how to use the psychology of reading, how the brain makes sense of text, so that when they're reading faster, they're actually using psychology as well. This means... This is a big difference. Most speed reading programs didn't work. They were very good for like, this is a book about biology, not much better. I was interested in learning. So with this system, you could slow down and learn something you don't know that you have to memorize or analyze to make sense of, and then immediately go back to your higher speed. In the past, it was taught strictly as a motor skill, conditioning. If you slowed down, ever slowed down, you lost your speed permanently. And so people would lose their speed because they learned new things they didn't know. They had to slow down. So I fixed it. The guy who owned Evelyn Woods in its heyday was Maurice Thompson Jr. And he had me train his son to speed read because he said I'd fix the problem and take it speed reading into the 21st century going to speed learning instead of just speed reading. And that was my goal, to be able to use it in very technical topics mm -hmm. and still learn them and not lose the understanding because of the speed. And by using things like schema, I was able to enable myself and others to slow down when it was needed and speed up when they, when it was possible. So they got the best of both worlds, the learning and the speed. So I want to come back to what you, um, what you were saying a few minutes ago when you were uh, answering the question about comprehension. And you certainly cited some uh, amazing examples of younger people, teenagers who leapfrogged in their education path. Yes. Um, so I'll ask some questions, maybe standard questions, but it'd be great to clarify for anyone listening here is, so is this something that really anyone can do and gain from, or those examples where someone goes off to become a college professor at 21, are they some Not sort of, some sort of uh, you know, 21. no, but an average person should expect to be a hundred percent faster with very good comprehension. That's a reasonable outcome very reasonable and what I would expect them to be able to do when they're done with the whole program. That would be a very, very realistic expectation. Now I've had, like I had a special ed student. She had third grade reading in the ninth grade. We figured out a problem. We taught her the system. She graduated with a two year degree in college with a 4.0 when her friends that she was going to high school with originally got high school degrees, went to Baylor on a full scholarship and then got a BA and then got a master's at 22. Wow. Now, is every special ed student gonna do that? Probably not. But she worked really hard, her mother helped her, and we gave her the tools to use. 
And I think that's all you can expect in life. Someone can give you everything you need and you need to use it. If I, if I give you, um, a phone and you don't use it, it isn't going to do you any good. If I give you a television, you don't turn it on, it isn't going to do you any good. The system works, but you have to actually use it. Now, normal people should expect to go 100% quicker with very good comprehension. That would had an 84-year-old, Ruth Lubin. She read three books in three hours the day after I taught her. So it's not an age thing. And I've done this for 35 years. I was on Cavuto. I read the healthcare bill which was 1,500 pages in 50 minutes on live television. It had just been published. And I did an analysis. Everything I predicted happened. So wow. it does work. I mean, I'm, I'm the exception in that I'm doing it for, for 50 years. You get better at something. You know? Sure, sure. And so, no, you're not going to read my speed, but you're going to read two, three times faster than your speed. And you're going to know what you're reading and use it. So I use Ruth as the example. Imagine you're in business. If she could do three books in three hours, I think a normal person could do a book in 20 minutes a day for three days. And I'm guessing, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. So let's see, that's 100 new skills a year if you're reading business books. Yeah. What business person couldn't do better with 100 new skills year after year after year? Exactly. That's what I've done. I've read almost 30,000 books. And I use what I learned to make more programs to help more people. And I'm going to guess that this process that you teach and the process that you le- uh, that people learn how to learn is fairly easy, straightforward, and enjoyable. Wouldn't that be true? Absolutely. To me, if a problem, if the solution is harder than the problem, it's just a new problem. Yeah. So we want to keep it simple. In fact, I've already shown people how to go quicker and what to look for if you'd like. I could show them how to speed memorize. Yeah, you want to do that? Sure. I'm going to give you 10 things to remember. There's many ways to remember, and every tool isn't used every time. I'm going to give you one tool that we can do quickly, but there are many tools. I'm going to give you 10 things to remember. I won't show you how. You probably won't be able to. And then I'll show you how, and you'll instantly do it. And so will our audience. Are you ready? Yep. Now, one more thing. You only remember 10% of what you read, but 90% of what you say and do. So I'm going to have you say and do, because this isn't just an exercise. It's a tool, and you'll use it for the rest of your life as our audience will, and I'll show you how when I'm done. Are you ready? Yep. Here are the 10 things to remember. Pole, shoes, tricycle, car, glove, gun, dice, skate, cat, and bowling pins. Is it safe to say you don't know all 10 backwards and forwards effortlessly right now? True. That is true. I could probably rhyme off the first three and maybe the last one. But, now, the, more, more. but the more I'm speaking, I'm probably forgetting the last one. <laughs> well, I'm going to show you how to remember all 10 in three minutes effortlessly. Now, the Greeks discovered a technique thousands of years ago. Take a list you want to learn and link it to a list you know it takes less time. I'm going to bet that you and our audience can count to 10. Am I on safe ground with that? Very safe ground, yes. Then we'll use that list 1 to 10 to learn 10 things super fast and really easy and make it fun, just like you said. All right. The number one looks a lot like a pole, like a flagpole or a lamp pole. So when I say one, you say pole. Ready? One. Pole. Perfect. 
Two is shoes. How many shoes do you wear? Two. What's two? Shoes. What's one? Pole. Perfect. Three is a tricycle. How many wheels are on a tricycle? Three. What's three? Tricycle. Two. Shoes. One. Pole. Perfect. Four is a car. How many tires are on a car? Four. What's four? A car. Two. Two. Sh shoes. One. Pole. Three. Tricycle. Jumping all over the place. It's not affecting you. This is perfect. You're doing exactly what you need to do. Five is a glove. How many fingers are in a glove? Five. What's five? Glove. Three. Tricycle. One. Pole. Getting smarter. Six is a gun. <laughs> can you, can you make me better looking too? <laughs> yeah, it's easy. Six. I do this with three-year-olds, literally three-year-olds. I make it a game. Six gun. They love them in Texas, like a cowboy, a six-shooter. What's six? Gun. Four. Car. Two. Shoes. Perfect. Seven's lucky in dice. What's seven? Lucky. In? Dice. Perfect. Five was a? Glove. Three? Tricycle. One. Pull. Going backwards. It's easy. Rhymes work. Say eight skate. Eight skate. What's eight? Skate. Six. What did they love in Texas? Guns. Four. Cars. Two. Glove. Uh, shoes. You're almost done. Nine. That's how many lives a cat has. So nine is cat. What's nine? Cat. Seven was lucky in? Dice. Five. Glove. Three. Tricycle. One. Pull. One more. Ten. How many pins are in a lane in bowling? Ten. Ten bowling pins. What's ten? Bowling pins. Let's do the ten objects you couldn't remember, and our audience do this with us. One. Pull. Two. Shoes. Three. Tricycle. Four. Car. Five. Glove. Six. Gun. Uh, gun. Yeah, got it. Seven is lucky in. Dice. Eight rhymes with. Skate. Nine. Cat lives. And Nine. ten. Uh, bowling pins. Perfect. Now here's how you use it. Imagine you're in a hotel and your room is 314. You know, a lot of times when you travel, you forget the hotel room because they all seem the same after a while. I've absolutely been there, yes. Numbers are hard. Pictures are easy. We're going to use the pictures to represent the numbers. Three is a tricycle. One is a pole. Four is a car. Picture this. A tricycle hits a pole on a car. Picture it. A tricycle hits a pole on a car. Tricycle, what number? Three. It's a pole. One. On a car. Four. And that's your room number. And in science and math, it's the value of pi in geometry. So kids use it in science, math, and history. Business people use it to remember phone numbers, room numbers, due dates, percentages, statistics. And see, it was fun and easy. And everything I teach is just like that to make it engaging and easy to learn. I, I love that. It makes me think uh, one of the tactics I kind of picked up using, um, I used to always forget my lock combination now uh, when I go to the health club. And yeah, my, reference, my reference point is uh, uh, athletes. And I think about their, their jersey number. So if I have that a works. combination, I'll Perfect. say, oh, it's Bob, Bobby Orr, Daryl Suttler, and uh, Guy Carboneau. Perfect. I was going to say, if people want to see my programs, they go to berglearning.com. That's with an E, B-E-R-G. And there's a coupon, Jansen10, for 10% discount.
We do have free lessons. Check them out. When you get the program, if you need help, we have someone ready to help you. And if they can't help you, I will or we'll give you a refund. We'll make sure you learn this. I appreciate uh, let's that. continue. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. We'll uh, we'll certainly put that link in the show notes. Yes. So so I, so so one thing I'm curious about is uh, I understand a lot of what we talked about here is is learning something new or consuming information. What about better ways to use or apply what you already know to accelerate effectiveness in other ways? Like, for example, mm. you know, I do a lot of work in the corporate space and do a lot of training and just have to, hearing the recurring stories that a typical worker in a large organization has a to-do list longer than they can actually have time for. They maybe get a hundred emails a day. They're spending six hours in meetings. And globally, I've asked a question to groups, how much time in a typical week, what percentage of time in a typical week do you spend on email or in meetings? Essentially saying, not doing things that are really necessarily part of your job. And most people would say that they spend between 50 to 80%, probably on average about 70% of their time in meetings and emails, and yet only 25% of that time is spent effectively. How can what this accelerated learning, what you understand about the brain, how can that make a, an average worker in an average company who's bombarded with information all the time, how can they work more effectively with some of this technique? There's actually two answers to that. One is the company itself can change the way the intercompany emails are sent and that um, people only receive emails that have a core competency in that area or are involved directly with the project. What a lot of companies are doing is nobody wants to be responsible for a mistake, so they blast everyone with information they want responses to, and most of the people aren't involved in that decision, and it wastes their time. So if they only targeted people who were directly in that project or had a core competency in that area, it would eliminate a lot of wasted time. But when you read quickly, and I read quickly, like I just had 200 emails this morning. I was away yesterday. So I did it in about, I would say about 20 minutes because I can read fast. So I can quickly see if what I'm looking at is relevant or irrelevant. If it's irrelevant, I go to the next email. The bulk of my time was spent on the relevant emails where I had to respond to something, which is why it took so long. But the irrelevant ones, I'm done with it in about a second and a half, two seconds. I look at it. I know it's irrelevant, irrelevant, irrelevant. I go to the next one. Relevant, I respond. And that's one of the advantages of being able to read quickly. Yeah, and I guess uh, some of your learning techniques certainly apply of being thoughtful about you know what you want to get out of your time and looking at emails and maybe looking at some of the, the vocabulary or the, the names and dates and the headers, et cetera. Right. Uh, as a way to uh, accelerate your way through that. And I always ask myself, is this something, is it an advertisement on something I might be interested in or not? Immediately, most of it's ads. And if it's not something I'm interested in at all, then it's gone. If it's got a relevancy, I might read it a little further. But I can quickly determine, is this a business question or a business email? Or is it spam? And sometimes some of the spam is relevant to what I'm interested in. So I'll look at it. But I do a very fast triage, garbage, something to take care of that's important, something I might take care of later if, if I develop an interest in it. Right now, it's not relevant. Mm. But I quickly triage my email. And I don't waste time on stuff that has no value or relevance to my life. I 
usually set up a rule in my inbox and send it to the junk file in the future. And then I always look at my junk file just to see if something snuck in there that I didn't expect. Like today I found some things there that shouldn't have been in junk and I made a new rule and made sure that in the future they wouldn't be there. But that's pretty much how I handle that. Mm. Well, what about, uh, again, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm re really um, understanding some of your approach clearly or the goal clearly, it's a lot of it, it sounds like is, you know, being able to consume quickly to accelerate the information flow. What about creating space? You know, often creativity, whether it's creative thinking or maybe innovative, coming up with innovative solutions to something. Often that comes from a more relaxed brain state where we allow our mind to wander. We're not trying to come up with the answers. Can creative thinking or innovative thinking be tackled in the same way, same accelerated way? Why don't I teach you something on it? And rather than talk about the theory, I could show you the application. Okay. That would probably be more useful. Yeah, sure. There's three levels of learning, literal, implied, and inferential. Literal is what you see. Implied is what you presume to know already. And inferential is getting the meaning and significance, which is often the goal in learning. So I'm going to ask you and our audience to draw a circle and put a dot in the middle. And if you don't have anything to draw with, picture a circle with a dot in the middle. It's yep. not that complicated. Yeah. What do you see? Literally, just literally, what do you see? A circle with a dot in the middle. Perfect. How interesting is it? Mm, not very. Thank you. And that's most learning. It's the words on the page. You don't know why you need to know them. I mean, nothing relevant about it. And it puts you to sleep. That's, that's a good part of what people experience while reading. Now I'm going to tell you, this is not just a circle with a dot in the middle. It's actually the symbol in astronomy of the sun. It's also the symbol for the sun in astrology because the two disciplines had an, an originally were the same. Now they're not, but originally they were. So that's a little more interesting. It's the symbol of the sun. Is that more interesting than it's a circle with a dot in the middle? Yeah, sure. It, 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 uh, it sparks some imagination. And you have to know that. I mean, otherwise, it's just a circle with a dot in the middle. It's just a, You don't know it's a symbol. looks like a picture. Now I'm going to tell you it's the meaning of life. This is the inferential level. I'm going to go... I'm going to go to the higher level of what you were talking about, intuition. The point in the center symbolizes spirit. You can look everywhere in the room. There's an infinite number of points. None of them are visible. Wherever you look, there's spirit. It fills everything, but you can't see it anywhere. So the point is a symbol of spirit. The circle is a symbol for self and not self. Inside the circle is the self. And outside the circle is everything that isn't the self. So what it's saying is everyone at the center is spirit, one thing. So everything looks different, seems different, even maybe acts different. But at the core, everything is this one thing looking at itself. Now, was that more interesting than it was a circle with a dot in the middle? Certainly made me think. And uh, yeah, it was more interesting. That's what people who are in business need to learn to do. Whether this is or not, what I described, that type of thinking that I did, that's what's relevant, the kind of analysis I did. Because when you have a problem and you think differently, you find new solutions. Like everyone saw a cell phone. There were lots of cell phones. Steve Jobs said, why don't I make a small computer that makes calls? How did that work out? Pretty good. Then he said, why don't I make it bigger? 
I can make one of these things eight and a half by 11. How did that work out? I'll call it an iPad. <laughs> Not too bad. Not too bad. Everyone saw the phone. He saw the potential. Mm. That's what we're talking about here. Inferential learning is seeing past the boundaries. It's breaking new ground. It's connecting dots in a new way. Good example. Blockbuster came out with a brilliant model for selling DVDs. It put everyone out of business except Blockbuster because they bought so many DVDs, the price was so low, they could outsell everyone else and make a profit until, until Netflix came along and said, we don't need stores, we can do it through the mail. And where's Blockbuster now? Underground. Exactly. Then Redbox said, we don't need mail. We could stick it at every store in the country and people can just drop it off. The only reason Netflix didn't go under is because they started doing original programming. Their core business is not sending out DVDs. <clears throat> When's the last time you saw someone get a DVD from Netflix? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long they time. They smart. Blockbuster could have done that. They'd still be in business, but they didn't yeah. think outside the store model. And so what you see here is that success depends upon staying ahead of the competition. Everyone had a brilliant solution, but each new solution puts the last one out of business. Ask people who made typewriters how they're doing, or people who made eight track tapes how they're doing today. Well, in many respects, we see that in industries like coal mining. Yes, they had very good business in the past, but conditions have changed. What coal miners need to do is learn new skills that don't involve coal mining because like eight-track tapes, things have changed. Too many people are trying to go back to what was where they were comfortable without realizing things have changed. People who are going to be successful in this information-based world are people who can learn faster, think better, and make changes. If you're trying to succeed with yesterday's model, you're going to be like Blockbuster. Just because it's working now doesn't mean it'll work tomorrow. You have to constantly be looking. I'll give you another good example. JCPenney and Sears built their businesses on catalogs. That was their original power. People would order from a catalog where there were no stores. They made a fortune. They're almost bankrupt now. But Bezos said, why don't I put the catalog online? He's the richest man in the world. Sears and JCPenney had the model, mm. but they didn't think of putting it online. They had the distribution. They had the products. They had everything but an online catalog, which is all Amazon is, an online catalog. They're going broke. He's the richest man in the world. What was the difference? He thought ahead. He saw the new application for the catalog in the 21st century. They were thinking 18th century. He's thinking 21st century. Yeah, absolutely. That's the difference between success and failure. That's why people need the programs I teach to stay ahead of the curve, to learn faster, understand better. There's changes in technology that affect them every day. There's changes in their core businesses. There's laws, rules, regulations that they have to comply with. There's, there's news, like if you're a farmer, these tariffs are affecting you. You need to be on top of this news. Well, that time you spend getting the information or learning new skills 
or keeping a, line, a, a, a license active by taking continuing credits. You don't get paid for that time. If you could cut that time in half, when remember better, understand better, make better connections with the information, you're going to be more productive and have more time for things that matter. That's what that's what we're doing at Berg Learning. Uh, that's great. And one of the things I appreciate about what you do is you're not just teaching people specific skills, you're teaching them perhaps the, the meta skill of, of yes. leveling up their learning. And I know one of your passion projects right now is working with the uh, the wounded warriors uh, yes. and teaching vets not just to get jobs, but to, to up-level their learning so they're able to expand their, their prospects. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing there and, and maybe some sure. of the impact that it's having. A few months ago, I was working with the special forces at Fort Bragg, and I was told that these wounded warriors have a suicide rate of 20 a day. 20 a day. I was like, why? They said they can't find jobs. A lot of them are wounded. I said, well, they have the GI Bill. They can go to school and learn a new skill. They don't know how to learn. I said, well, I could teach them that. Well, they have no money. So I'll teach them for free. My dad was a wounded warrior. I know what it's like. And so I'm teaching them how to learn faster, just like I teach everyone else at berglearning.com to learn faster. But I'm giving this to them. They've already made their payment with the commitment they've made to us and the, and, and the damage that's been done to them. And I'm hoping to train as many as possible to give them the opportunity to learn faster so they can use their GI Bill, go back to school and have a career and have a meaningful life and, and the suicide rash that's going on right now. And that's my goal. I'm trying to help as many people as I can. Uh, I'm a grandparent. And I'm looking at where our world is. I don't think anyone's told me there's too many smart people making too many good decisions. Anyone watching the news, I've never heard that as a, as, as a problem. <laughs> and we have global problems today. A lot of people think competition is the answer. No, it's cooperation. Yes. Uh, our ancestors could not take down a, a mastodon by themselves. They formed tribes. It took a group to survive. And it's true today, many of our problems are global. There may be countries we're not particularly fond of, but unless we all work together, there isn't gonna be a future for anybody. And so my goal is to help people learn more, understand better, so they can help us find solutions to some of these problems. And if, if nothing else, get better at what they do. We all benefit from that. And so as many people as possible, I hope they'll go to berglearning.com Give the coupon Jansen 10 for the discount. Try out some of the free lessons and know that whatever you decide to get and you'll find many things that it can help you, you'll be supported. And if we can't help you, you'll get your money back. So you have everything to gain, nothing to lose. Your kids will go to school and finish and then have careers and not live with you till they're 40, which is happening. You can make more money at work and be more productive and your parents and the seniors can stay mentally fit. And the same program will work for all three groups. That's great. And one of the questions I have is, is when you when you when people go to your programs and you teach people how to learn differently, are there certain things we have to unlearn in that process? You know, bad habits. Yeah, or other actually, ways? there's one. Yes, there's a, there's about a 15, 20 minute period where you stop hearing every word, one word at a time, and you start seeing more of a movie. 
And in that brief period, you get confused because the part of your brain that's turning on to see the movie turns on from the confusion. So I tell people, I want you to get confused for a brief time to switch this part of your brain on. So the first time in your life, the more confused you are, the better you're doing, because it means it's going to switch on. And you can relax as it starts to experience a little bit of confusion. And then they know it's going to happen. It happens, and then they get past it really fast, and they end up speeding up their reading, and understanding is still there. But I have to help help them unlearn having to hear every single word one at a time to get them there. So that's one of the things they need to learn. Yes. What do you think? Um, that's, a, that's a great point. What do you think about? Um, or sorry, what do you? What have you seen? Is the biggest resistance that people have to uh, to accelerating their learning or to take on speed reading? What do people? What's the resistance that you think is unnecessary, but it tends to tend to show up a lot? A couple of things. Some people think it won't work for them. They're too old. And I tell them about the 84-year-old who read three books in three hours and the 92-year-old who read 100% faster in four hours. And I say, if you're less than 92, I can pretty much tell you it's going to work. <laughs> so, and we also did the double-blind study that proved that it worked. And if you need help, we'll help you. And if they can't help you, I'll help you. And if I can't help you, I'll give you your money back. And so you got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Mm. But... You have to follow the instructions. For example, I tell people specifically, don't use calculus or quantum physics or existentialist philosophy is the book you practice in when you're learning to read faster because most people find that confusing. So somebody calls me up and says, I'm having a problem. I said, first thing I said, what book are you using? It's calculus. I said, I said, don't use that book. He said, I didn't think it would matter. I said, well, what happened? There's a reason I told you. I said, are you good at math? No. <laughs> Have you ever studied calculus? No. So you're trying to double the triple your reading speed while learning calculus simultaneously, and you have no idea what's going wrong. As, a, as you said, it, yeah, as, said it, you, as you said at the start, there's a distinction between learning and reading. Right. So I want you to start with a book that's easy. So the only thing you're focusing on is the new skill, reading faster. Now you're reading faster, read whatever you want, but don't try to learn existentialist philosophy while you're trying to learn to read two, three, four times faster. Yes. Don't want to do both things at the same time. First read faster, then read the book, but don't try to read the book while you're learning to read faster because it's confusing material. You won't know if your problem is your speed or the material. And that's why it's important to follow instructions. I make them simple. All they have to do is what I'm telling them, and they'll get great results. But when they call me, the first thing I ask is, what book are you using? And when they tell me it's a book on organic chemistry, and they never had a science class in their life, I'm pretty sure I know what the problem is. Yes, yes. <laughs> and um, I want to loop back to a few things you, you mentioned in this conversation. And, um, you know, you, we, you said one of the problems was we read one word at a time. And yes. as a parent of a young child and, and we're starting to read to him, uh, we do read the same story over and over and over again, but we certainly do pronounce every single word. I guess the question I have is, and I don't know if it's a simple answer, and you might, you might answer the question in a different way or, or find a different question, you know, find the essence of what I'm trying, trying to ask and answer it in a different way. Um, but when do you transition from reading or teaching someone to read 
one word at a time or one phrase at a time? When do you transition to this different way of learning, of, of more consuming the information rather than just reading it? Most of my students start in the sixth grade when they're around 11, and I'll tell you why. Uh, for the first three years of school, they're learning how to read, and they do have to read one word at a time because English is still a foreign language to them. Mm. You can't speed up in a language you don't speak. You don't know what any of the words mean. How are you going to read them faster? You yeah. can't. It's like yeah. reading a foreign language. Then in fourth grade, they start reading for comprehension. So by sixth grade, they've had two years of building a vocabulary. At that point, they're ready to read faster. Now, I've had students in third grade that sped read, but they were advanced. They were at eighth grade reading level in the third grade. Not typical, but if they happen to be more mature, have more of an interest in reading and have the skill, they can go sooner. But for the vast majority, I suggest starting at sixth grade and up. What I do with younger students is memory. You don't give them a program, they're young. You do the pegging drills and other drills as a game. So when they start to learn their letters and they start to learn their phonics and they start to learn words, they know how to remember it. And they don't forget it the next day. So I always start with memory at, with very young students and then build on that to the other skills. That was a uh, great distinctions there. And since we are at the start of a school year in this conversation, for the students that are listening here, What's the biggest piece of advice you'd have for students as it relates to their study habits or their approach to getting good grades? Don't make the mistake of thinking how many pages you read, how long you study is what's relevant. I did a graduate course in educational psych in seven hours. It didn't matter how many hours I studied, how many pages I read. I got a B plus on a six hour test in 50 minutes. But your goal is, is to understand what you're reading to know the significance of what you're reading and have it in a place in your brain where you can find it when you need it and to get in the right state so you don't get nervous taking the test, just stay relaxed. We didn't have time to cover that in this particular episode, but that's one of the things I'm teaching is how to create states so they can be in the right emotional state to succeed. So if you're in the right state, you, you look for the things I'm teaching you, you're finding it two, three, two times faster, you're using the study skills to analyze things that confuse you to make sense of it, and then you're in the right state of mind to use it, you'll see your grades will go up, you'll have greater confidence, and you'll have more time to do things you'd rather be doing because you'll finish your studies so much faster you have more time for your hobbies and side interests as a result. That's great. That's great. Um, you certainly have reignited my um, my desire to accelerate my own learning. I took a, a, a course many years ago on accelerated learning, and it's, uh, it's reminding me a lot of the tactics that perhaps I've drifted from that I need, need to get back to. So I appreciate all the examples you've shared. You, you've mentioned earlier that you've read over 30,000 books. My question would be, what books have changed your life the most? Quite a few. I was going to say on, on a site, after we're done, if you send me your email, I'll set you up with my program as a gift for having me on the podcast so you could experience the benefits firsthand. Um, when I was in uh, college, I was majoring in biology. And in my junior year, I read a book by Conrad Lorenz called On the Evolution and Modification of Behavior, which wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea. 
but it, it struck me as amazing. It was discussing studies into animal behavior. And I became fascinated with behavior and how the brain and, and instincts and genetics played a role in that. And I said, this is an area that I want to be involved in. And when you think about it, that's what I'm doing now, which is learning and behavior and behavior modification using brain-based strategies. But that's what drew my attention was Conrad Lorenz's book on the evolution and modification of behavior. Now, in business, uh, a very good book in business is Unlimited Selling Power and this book is one of the books that Dan Kennedy, one of my mentors and friends, highly recommended as well. And it gives you NLP-based strategies for your marketing and sales, which you'll find very, very helpful. It's unlimited selling power. You can get it on Amazon for about 10 bucks uh, and then get the paperback. But it's, it's one of the best books I know for anyone in business to read. And it everything else is really a matter of what do you like? Mm. You know, if you like to golf, I'm not a golfer, but I'm sure there are great books on <laughs> golfing. If you do, I'm a swimmer. So I'm interested in books on swimming, but that doesn't mean you are. So it's hard to tell other people what they should be interested sure, in. Sure, sure. But what I do recommend is be eclectic. Don't just read one subject. Doctors read medicine, lawyers read law. People who are successful, they go outside their comfort zone. And they read books in other areas that they weren't typically exposed to. And you find sometimes something in that other area you can use in your niche that no one thought of before. And that's how you get the, the, the next best thing that no one thought of. And everyone else is playing catch up with you. Uh, I agree with that. It's, it reminds me of the old adage that if uh, you know, poor people have large TVs and rich people have large libraries. And leaders are readers. That's right. That's right. So... Howard, uh, before I ask you the last question, um, uh, I know you've mentioned a few times, but where can people get in touch with you or find out more about your work? Sure. Berg Learning, B-E-R-G-L-E-A-R-I-N-G. It's one word, berglearning.com. Remember Janzen, J-A-N-Z-E-N-10 coupon. There are free lessons. We have lots of programs, reading, writing, memory, math. <clears throat> Try some of the free lessons. You'll be very intrigued by what it does. I know you'll be interested in getting the programs. If you need help, we'll help you. If they can't help you, I'll help you. And if I can't help you, we'll give you your money back. So you have everything to gain, nothing to lose. Share it with your kids. Share it with your grandparents and parents. They stay fit. And use it in your business because we live in a knowledge-based economy. And literally what you know is what determines your ability to make money. So try it risk-free, I think you'll be very surprised at how much faster you can learn and accomplish in just a few hours of work. That's great. Well, you know, Howard, I, I appreciate your, uh, your, not only your time here today, but I appreciate the mission that you're on. And I really honor and respect you for a guy who's been doing this for many, many uh, years, like a few decades now. Uh, I, I sense no drop in your enthusiasm to help other people and to really serve the population, to really lift people, especially people, you know, under, you know, less privileged people and some of the, the students, the military work that you've done, you're, you're a good man and the world needs more of you. Trying and, to help. Yeah, you're doing a great job. So my final question for you on the Ignition Show is what do you hope to ignite in the world? I hope to make a change by empowering people to learn better and understand more. I'm, I'm looking at some of the big problems we have and we need people 
that can think, people that can produce results. And if I can do that, I told the Green Berets, I go to some of these countries where people are blowing themselves up to teach them how to be successful. Because people who have jobs and homes and families aren't blowing themselves up. Mm. It's people who are desperate. So we need we need a global approach to a lot of the things that we are experiencing globally, like global warming is a good example, overpopulation. We can't solve any of these problems by ourselves. It's gonna take cooperation. And I think people that are better informed, have better understanding, are gonna make fewer mistakes and be more open to cooperating and working with other people for the common good of everyone. And if I could accomplish that, then I've done my mission. I can't solve every problem, but I can help the people who could solve the problems, learn the things they need quicker and better so they can find the solutions. And that's really how I see myself. Well, that's great. Well, keep on keep on doing what you're doing. And uh, once again, thank you very much for your time and all the wisdom that you shared. We'll make sure we have all the links in the show notes and, and uh, we'll look forward to connecting soon. I appreciate you having me, Aaron. I thank everyone for listening. Thanks again, Howard. Welcome. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. That was Howard Berg, Guinness record holder for the world's fastest reader. You can find all of the links in our show notes, including the discount code Jansen10 for 10% off at any of Berg Learning products. We always want to make sure you get the most of the time you've invested listening here, especially based on the topic we talked about today. The show is only valuable if you apply what you learned, and most learning is generated from reflection. So we'd love to hear from you and your reflections about what you learned and found interesting. Join the community and go to theignitionshow.com slash connect and let us know what struck you and what it was you heard today that you really needed to hear today. You can leave us an audio message or join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for The Ignition Show and participate in the conversation there where we'd love to hear your comments and follow-up questions. Also be sure to check out the after show of this episode. That's a shorter follow-up episode where we, it's my wife and business partner, Sarah and I, we talk about what we learned from this interview and how these ideas have shown up in our lives on a more personal level. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review in iTunes. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We read every single review and comment that comes through iTunes, Facebook, and our website, and respond to as many people as we can. And remember, whatever you dream of, Whatever you hope for and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.